Welcome to the Hills. If you're watching online around the world, I'm glad you joined us. I'm standing at the North Richard Hills campus of our church, speaking also to people at the West Fort Worth campus and the South Lake campus. And last week, we started a six-week study of the book of Galatians that will take us up to Easter weekend. So before I begin this second message in that series, two big thank yous, okay? The first is for all the feedback I got from the first message from people saying, thanks for sharing your own spiritual journey because it looks so much like mine. I too have a background where I was raised in a religion that had no place for grace. Now, I was raised particularly among a tribe of Christian people called the Churches of Christ. Now, I always said the Churches of Christ did not invent legalism. We just tried to perfect it, okay? But here's the thing. Legalism is not the exclusive domain of any particular religious tradition. I heard last week from people who were raised in Baptist churches, in Pentecostal churches, Orthodox and Catholic backgrounds. I heard from Jehovah's Witnesses. And should that surprise us? Because you see, in every other arena of our life, we are judged by our performance. What did we do to bring value to the table? So why should we be surprised, no matter what your religious background is, that kind of thinking would infect it. And, and so Paul in Galatians is going to say over and over that when you think you can help God do what only God can do. You're trying to supplement Christ, but what you are actually doing is supplanting Christ. And we're going to see that in just a moment, but second big thank you. I was a little nervous last week reading such a long text of Scripture. Uh, we started in chapter 1 and went all the way to the middle of chapter 2. But I heard from people again who said, thank you so much. It was good to just sit under the Word of God and have it read. And I appreciate your feedback in that sense. Because I do believe the Scriptures are life-giving words. Anointed by God for our blessing. In fact, I want to show you something very cool. Look at this picture. Now, you can't recognize that language. I can't either because it's a new language. You see, a few uh, months ago, we sent a couple to, and I can't tell you their names or where they are, to translate scriptures into a language of a people group that have never had it, the Nos people. So look at this second picture, and there they are holding for the first time ever the words of scripture in their own language that they are reading today. Can we celebrate God? That is so good. And if you gave to our Courage campaign, this goes into your spiritual bank account. Your money helped make that happen. Now, let me be clear. I do not worship the Bible. I worship the one the Bible reveals. And the written Word of God has one purpose, to lead us to faith in the living Word of God. So once again, I am going to read a long part of the book of Galatians. Now you understand, we think it's long. The Galatians didn't. When they got that letter, they would have listened to the whole thing from start to finish, right? Put yourself in their place. A guy named Paul comes, tells you about Jesus you become convinced it's true, you surrender to this message, you believe it, and you are baptized, and you start following Jesus. Then later, 
Some people show up from Jerusalem and they say, Paul's a good dude, but he didn't give you the whole story. Remember, he's not from Jerusalem like we are and like the real apostles, like Peter, okay? And so he didn't tell you some important things that you need to stop eating some of the foods that you're eating, that you need to start doing some of the ceremonies the Jewish people have been doing for centuries. Most of all, you need to be circumcised if you're a man. Because if you haven't been circumcised, you cannot be right with God. Do you think that might have made you uneasy? And then you hear, we got some correspondence from Paul, and we're going to read it this Sunday. So imagine now you're in a courtyard of a rich brother's house, maybe 60, 80, 90, 100 people there. And you are leaning in. And someone says, got this letter from Paul, and I'm going to read the whole thing. Of course you are. Because you want to know, am I right with God or not? What Paul is going to do with the section we read today is he's going to go back to the people saying, you got to become like Jews. He's going to go back into Jewish history. He's going to pick the most important man and maybe the most important moment. But before he gets there, he starts with a very awkward moment with none other than Peter. So we're going to start reading in chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 11, all the way to the middle of chapter 3. Here we go. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from the people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make the Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Now, he says, now, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners. Okay, now, he's not name-calling. If you were raised in a Jewish home, you would have said anyone that doesn't follow the Jewish customs is outside the will of God. So, in, for their mind, a Gentile and a sinner, it's all the same thing. He said, that's not how we were raised. We were not like sinners. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we've believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we're found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Okay, here's what he means. Okay, all my life I've observed these ceremonies. I've abstained from certain foods. Now I don't have to do that anymore. I'm following Jesus. Someone's going to walk up and say, you're doing things that are sinful. Is that what Jesus does? Jesus turns people into sinners? That's the question he's answering. He says, absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law. I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, 
but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Okay, now we're going to start chapter 3. Everyone's leaning in, right? And it's about to get awkward. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, you're sitting in the courtyard. How'd that make you feel? You foolish Galatians. Who's cast an evil spell on you? For if the meaning of For the meaning of Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again. Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. And now what he's about to do, he's going to go back into Jewish history. And he's going to pull out of the Jewish scriptures the most important name and maybe the most important miracle. Listen to his argument. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the Scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ, share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the Scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the Scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures, curses everyone who was hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now, you've heard me say all through this book that Paul is going to condemn what I'm calling legalism, but he never uses the word legalism. You won't find the word legalism in the whole book of Galatians, and there's a good reason. There was no Greek word for legalism. So what he has to do is either use the word law or works of the law. And that might be the confusion. Sometimes it sounds like Paul likes the law. Sometimes it sounds like he doesn't like the law. You have to read the context to understand how he's using the word. So here's the point. Paul in no way is opposing Christians who do good works in the name of Jesus. Okay? Uh, Remember 
at the end of our reading last week, the apostles in Jerusalem said, Paul, you go preach to the uncircumcised. Please just remember the poor. Paul said, I was eager to do that. He's going to say in chapter 6, verse 10, we should look for opportunity to do good to all people, especially our brothers and sisters. So Paul is not against doing good works. He's not against being a moral person. What he's opposing is the idea that you can build a bridge to God on the basis of your morality. What he's opposing is not doing good. He's opposing the thinking that your doing good is helping God rescue you. Okay? What he's opposing is the idea and the thinking that my doing good is somehow redemptive. And he doesn't just think that thinking is misguided. He thinks it is stupid. Yes, Mom, I said that word, okay? You remember back in chapter 1, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting what I taught you. In chapter 3, he says it even harder. He says, you foolish Galatians. And then two verses later, he says the same thing. How foolish can you be? Now, here's the thing. Apostles can talk like that. Preachers can't, okay? If you send me an email, I cannot say, you idiot. What kind of moron would ask me a question like that, okay? So I can think it, but I can't say it, okay? If you're an apostle, you get to say things. And Paul said it. Notice. He's not just criticizing the Judaizers for their heresy. He's criticizing the Galatians for their gullibility. So you're in that courtyard and you're listening to someone read what Paul said and it just got awkward. Because Paul is saying, I clearly presented Christ crucified. Like I put up a slideshow and you could see him hanging on the cross. What on earth made you think you could add to what God did in Christ. Here's his point. Only a fool wants a rule. Now, why does legalism exist? Here's a simple answer. It exists because we like it. If we didn't like it, it wouldn't exist. Why do we like legalism? Because it appeals to our pride. It makes us feel like we can control our religion, and we can control other people in our religion, and we can even obligate God. God, I did this and this and this, and you owe me. But we haven't thought through to the end of that belief system to realize how stupid it is. In the first place, we haven't thought through what it says about the cross, okay? Chapter 2, verse 21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Do you understand what you are saying about the cross of Jesus when you say, I help God rescue me? But there's something even more foolish, and that is you're trying to build a bridge that you can't stand on because it's going to crumble under your own disobedience. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under His curse. For the Scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. Can anybody say, I have obeyed every single command that God ever made? Why are you trying to build a bridge that you cannot stand on without crumbling under the weight of your own disobedience? 
See, God's laws are not given to justify us. They're given to help us see how much we need to be justified. I read years ago about a man. He was a lawyer, and he taught criminal justice at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. And he married one of the deans of the University of Nebraska Law School. And he got arrested. You see, years ago when he left New York, he had eight felonies. Burglary, larceny, desertion of the army. Now he knew the law. He taught the law. He even married the law. But he couldn't keep the law. That's our problem. We are fools to think we can build a bridge to God by how well we obey God's law. We can only cross the bridge built by the one who did. And so back in chapter 2, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. How are we rescued? We are rescued by grace through faith. And so here's what I want to do. I want to unpack how faith rescues us not obedience to the law and first because it rescues us from hypocrisy when we go to rule-based religion we become susceptible to hypocrisy let's take Peter for an example now Peter came to understand because of the work of Christ he doesn't have to follow all those Jewish ceremonies anymore that means he could eat bacon and let me tell you we all know when you eat bacon you can't go back Okay, so he's loving him some bacon, eating with the Gentiles. Then some people from Jerusalem showed up, and Peter thought, oh, no. They are going to take pictures of me eating bacon and put it on Facebook, and it's going to blow up and go viral, and I don't have time to deal with all the hate mail I'm going to get. You know what? In order to save the peace, I'm just not going to eat bacon with the Gentiles anymore. And here's what he did. He sent the message to all the Gentiles, you're second-class Christians. And we are closer to God than you are because of a rule that we follow. That's legalism. It's almost always contagious. Even Barnabas got swept away. And it is always divisive. Because legalism declares winners and losers based on a game where the rules are always changing. It just depends on what part of the world you live in, what religious tradition you're a part of, what church you go to, where you have to find out what's the rule that you have to keep here to be the winner. I heard a story of his grandfather and the grandson are walking down the road with a donkey. They come to a village and people say, you're such an idiot, old man, walking when you could be riding that donkey. So the old man gets on the donkey. He goes to the next village. You're so selfish, old man. You're riding when that boy should be riding. So they put the boy on the donkey. They go to the next village. How insensitive. You riding the old man walking. You ought to both get on the donkey. So they both get on the donkey. So they go to the next village. How cruel you are to put such a burden on that donkey. Both of you riding it like that. The last time they were seen, they were walking down the road carrying the donkey. Because here's the thing. People are always changing the rules to measure who wins and who loses. 
true story. I know of a mission team that went to Africa years ago. In a part of the country where they were, you couldn't get peanut butter. One family had little kids. They had friends in the States mail them peanut butter. Well, the other family said, we feel like part of carrying the cross in this culture is giving up peanut butter. We think we're closer to God because we don't get peanut butter. Well, we want peanut butter. They wound up splitting the team and having to go home over who's holier to God on the peanut butter issue. This is what legalism does. Whenever we focus on external conformity, we divide the body and we miss the point that it's about internal transformation into the character of Christ. What happens is we produce a religion where Jesus says, you polish the outside of the cup and you ignore the poison on the inside. Jesus hated that. The kind of religion, he said, is like a tomb that is so painted and pretty on the outside and inside, it is just full of stink. And people, this has always been one of the greatest obstacles to faith in our world. A kind of expression of the Christian faith that polishes the outside and doesn't deal with the inside. And when we read about all the young people that are walking away from churches today, I am going to argue it is not because they find the arguments of atheism so compelling, but because they are so turned off by the hypocrisy of the Christians they have known. And this is why we have to challenge each other, just like Paul did, with love but with boldness. That we've got to be authentic, folks. We've got to be real. We've got to live authentic lives. And the only way we can is by pursuing authentic faith. Because faith is going to put us level on the ground before a cross of Christ. Nobody better than anybody else. Paul said, Romans 3, after all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with him by faith, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. So it's faith that calls us to be authentic. It's faith that calls us to clean up the inside. It's faith that delivers us from phoniness and also from barrenness. Because you see, the gospel is more than forgiveness. The gospel is formation. The gospel is not just pardon for who I used to be. The gospel is power to become who I ought to be. Very first gospel sermon ever preached, Peter said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the Holy Spirit. You need the supernatural empowering of God to become the person you're called to be. Now, this is a big deal to Paul, and it's his big problem with legalism. Look what he says, chapter two, or chapter 3, verse 2. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Now, this is so big to Paul, he's going to come back three verses later. He's going to ask the same question. I ask you again. You see how important this is to him? 
Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you? Because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Okay, I'm about to say something strong. I have learned the way that you measure the validity of any gospel, of any ministry, of any message is this. Is there tangible evidence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit as a result of what you've been preaching? Did you hear what I just said? That where the gospel is preached the way it's supposed to be preached, there should be evidence of the supernatural. I use that word on purpose. When the gospel is preached, there are miracles. People are healed. People who've been oppressed by demons get released. People who have lived in bondage for years to addictions and sins get free. Marriages that were dead get resurrected. And most of all, people experience radical Life change from the inside out as the fruit of the Holy Spirit begins to show up in their lives. That when the gospel is preached, you get people produced who can only be explained because I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ and Christ is now living in me through his Holy Spirit. See, I have been in religion with lots of rules and no life change where you were an angry, cynical, bigoted, anxious person, and then you got religion, and 30 years later, you are a religious, angry, cynical, bigoted, anxious person. I want to see the evidence of the Spirit of God. I read recently about a car chase out in Fremont, California, and the police car had to give up the chase, and the, the criminal got away. They were in a new Tesla, this electric car. Good car, ran out of juice, and that's what happens. That's what happens. You're pursuing what you ought to pursue, and you're in the flesh, and you just run out of juice. You need the supernatural refilling of the Spirit of God to become the person the gospel is calling you to become. And to make his point, Paul is going to go to the most important person in Jewish history and maybe the most important miracle. In the same way, Abraham. You see, Abraham was almost 100 years old. His wife was about 90 God called him outside and said, look up at the stars. Can you count them? I am going to bring out of your own body as many descendants as our stars. Now, what's Abraham going to do? Is he going to try to help God? Did he start a new diet? Did he say, Sarah, I got you some yoga pants. I've enrolled you in Zumba. You got to get in shape, girl. Here's what he did. Romans 4. Abraham never wavered in believing. God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And here's, this is big. Because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And by the way, this happened a long time before Abraham was ever circumcised. He believed 
God. And he saw a miracle. He became a dad. And even more, he became righteous. And that's the third thing faith does. It rescues us from fear. Now, all people wrestle with the fear of death. And most people wrestle with the fear of meeting an infinitely holy God with all their junk. Maybe that's why we're susceptible to bridge-building religion. Maybe that will help. Here's the thing. It just makes the fear worse. When I was a boy in my little church, we would often sing a song called, Did You Repent? Let me read you the first verse of this song. Did you repent, fully repent of your past sins, friend? When you confessed his name on high, did you believe, fully believe on his great name then? Or was a doubt, treacherous doubt, lingering nigh? Did you obey all the way what he commanded, things in his word were told to do? Did you confess, fully confess Jesus the Savior? Did you repent? Did you believe all the way through? And we would sing that song, and it would freak me out. Are you kidding me? Is that the standard? And the second verse is worse. Did you get wet, totally wet when you were baptized? Were your eyes shut, completely shut when you said your prayers? Did you stand straight, totally straight when you praised God? And were you on time even early when you went to church? I mean, where does it stop? This is not relieving my fear. Listen to me. You don't escape your fear if your plan is to present your righteousness to God. God doesn't want your proof of what you've done. He wants your faith in what Christ has done. And so look back again at chapter 3, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, don't turn faith into legalism. This is not saying he was saved because his faith was so good. Oh, I'm going to tell you, I am really good at believing. That's one of my best things about me is how good I am at believing. No, I'm not rescued because I'm so good at believing, but because I believe in a God who was so good at rescuing. And so look again, verse 13, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. And I am no longer afraid to meet a holy God. The accuser may show up and make a case against me. He's got lots of evidence. Jesus is not going to deny the charges. He's not going to plead extenuating circumstances. He's just going to present his work on the cross on my behalf. And his defense is flawless because Jesus says he's flawless. He's the only one who obeyed all of God's commands. And the judge will not declare me pardoned. He will declare me righteous. 
Now, there's a difference. And, and I know some of our favorite hymns have the word pardon. I'm not saying we shouldn't sing them anymore. But that's not exactly what Jesus does. Let me illustrate. You ever heard the phrase, your name is Mud? You know where that comes from? So there was a Dr. Howard Mudd about the time of the Civil War. And one night there's a knock on his port, uh, door. He goes to the porch and there's a man saying, I've broken my leg. Can you reset it? So he did. Sent him on his way. That man was John Wilkes Booth on the run for having just assassinated Abraham Lincoln. When the Union troops found out, they arrested Dr. Mudd and accused him of conspiracy and put him in jail. Now, the next president, Andrew Johnson, gave him a pardon. So he was released from jail. But according to the record, he was guilty. His name is in the record. He just didn't have to pay the penalty. During the Carter administration, President Carter, having reviewed the facts, made this declaration. Dr. Mudd did no wrong. I rule him as justified. What does that mean? There's no longer any name in the record. There's no longer any evidence he ever did anything wrong. He wasn't pardoned. He was declared righteous. That's what God has done. He has condemned your condemnation in Jesus Christ's case closed. Listen to the brother of Jesus. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into His glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to Him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. You ever read a scripture sometimes, you get so excited you just want to spike your Bible? That's how that makes me feel. That's why I've always liked the story before the age of smartphones of businessmen's in the Midwest. He doesn't know where he is, so he finds a guy on a tractor and hauls his, and says, Hey, buddy, if I stay on this road, will I get to Kansas City? I don't know. Well, if I stay on this road, will I get to St. Louis? I don't know. Well, what big city will I get to if I stay on this road? I don't know. Well, you don't know much, do you? I know I ain't lost. <laughs> Faith has rescued me from fear. I know I ain't lost. God doesn't need my help building the bridge. He wants my confidence in the bridge that he has built. You see, there's only one must. Active trust. When Paul says, I want you to have faith, he doesn't mean I want you to mentally agree with some facts in your head. Here's what he says. I want you to live like a person would live if they actually believed God was going to do everything he promised. Like Abraham and Sarah. God told that old man, you can be a daddy. Do you believe me? You know what he did? He went into his tent and he and Sarah did what a couple does if they want to make a baby. And that's what God wants. Would you live like somebody would live if they really believed I could do everything I promised. That affects how I steward my money or my sexuality. It affects how I handle my worry and how I treat my neighbor. Would you live like a person would live if they fully 
believed, I'm going to keep every promise I made. That's the rescued life. And that's the life I'm going to live. And not because I have such great faith, but because I believe in the great faithfulness of God. So let me pray over this right now. So God, would you anoint this message, please? Because I'm believing someone today needs to be delivered. They need to experience true freedom today. Whether it's from sin, whether it's from oppression, whether it's from religion. Father, we need the supernatural today. We need your Holy Spirit to show up in a profound way in someone's life today. We need joy to replace worry. We need freedom to replace bondage. We need resurrection to replace death. And so, God, we are believing right now that these things can happen because you are faithful to do everything you promise. Help us to believe even more. For Jesus' sake, amen.